Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics right here on Blog Talk Radio. Hercules. Thank you for having me again. Now, you said that there was an update on net neutrality, so I'd love to find out about that. Um, Well, we are up four more. Uh, One was, yes, we're at 182, uh, but we are still shy 11 House Democrats. And one of them is our House Democrat. <laughs> that would be uh, Congressman Gottheimer. He sent me another letter. It was the same okay. letter he sent me in January, and it was the same letter he sent in May, and it was the same letter he sent to someone else in 2017, which doesn't really um, – it, it sounds like he agrees with net neutrality rules, but I guess he's so far in the pocket of big cable – corporations that he will not act on this and that's what we seem to be hearing from him i have checked his social media and he is being asked by all kinds of constituents to move ahead and sign on but it seems that he is not from what you're telling me yes (laughs) Uh, that is so sad what can we do uh, we, you know, um, we can have some very creative actions in the next two days. Uh, folks can, you know, head out to those offices that are open on Thursday, open on Friday, and and really, you know, do a sit-in. Uh, 
um, net neutrality uh, in a, off the top of my head, you know, you could re-deliver the 711 business signatures. Um, those would be downloadable at uh, battleforthenet.com. You know, you could go to some of the resources and re-deliver and go and press him, sit in his office, continue to call, maybe get on the radio like we are. <laughs> and, and spread the word. Um, I must say that our Internet has been acting peculiarly for the past uh, week or so. Uh, yesterday I had concerns as to whether I could run the show today, which is so slow and uh, – um, the, the sound quality was bizarre. And uh, in a separate room, my wife on our laptop, uh, she's been experiencing pro- uh, problems that she hasn't experienced before either. So we were wondering if it had anything to do with uh, uh, net neutrality. It very well could. It, it very could well could. Um, many new mergers and larger monopolies um, have you know, been working overtime to, you know, gather that fast lane and slow lane. Um, I have noticed, you know, some of my streaming services to go awry in the last last couple weeks as well. Um, I've been working out some bugs, <laughs> but I, I have very horrible download speeds. Um, I did read an article, which I will uh, go ahead and and post um, there on your site. And this is talking about Time Warner and how AT&T, Time Warner, could immediately slow us down and there would be nothing for us to do. I, it sparked some, because uh, I've been looking into this more and more since you raised my awareness, and uh, there was a company, alas, my memory is not what it once was, um, and uh, right now, again, I have concerns about uh, connectivity, so I'm not going to do a lot of Google searching while we're talking, um, but uh, a company has arisen that did something with some type of cloud uh, where they can uh, basically get around the problem of uh, uh, cable companies slowing us down that that basically you hook directly onto this uh, uh, cloud and not whatever they do they do but you you'll still get a speedy uh, um, you know connection and you'll be able to do a lot of uh, different things uh, I'm not technically savvy enough to understand uh, everything I was reading but that seemed to be the gist of it yes and that is um, the gist behind a municipal broadband resolution. So uh, your town would provide the servers and sign up and and create that cloud or shared services with a couple or a few municipalities or a whole county, and they would implement through their ordinances and resolutions a net neutrality um, platform and ordinance, and they could have their own. In that fashion, uh, you know, that would go to public, probably paying taxes, but it would recognize the need um, for for more local. And it's, 
you know, we talk about local food. We need food that's coming locally to us. Maybe we need those other services that aren't as tangible um, but so easily accessible when we pay, pay, pay. Maybe there's a, you know, maybe in the accumulation of all those flat monthly fees, there's a lot to be said about a flat tax paying for our municipalities and our own local folks putting this together and then running it sustainably uh, in a way that everybody can be educated and have free speech uh, and not slow, (laughs) slow loading. If you can get me that information in an email, uh, I will definitely uh, um, see what we're currently doing uh, locally or what we can do locally that we're not currently doing to uh, um, raise this uh, possibility uh, into people's awareness uh, to see that it is indeed available and that this could um, redefine the whole situation we're currently facing. Absolutely. Um, I can send immediately uh, right onto the links again, um, one for Bangor, Maine, uh, and that can um, put you in there. We find these, there are certain towns around the country when I am investigating and researching resolutions, uh, Davis, California, Baltimore, Maryland, and even Georgetown, Texas. You know, they seem to have been implementing the future while the rest mm-hmm. of the United States is, is really slowing down. Um, you know, those three towns, I constantly find uh, information towards that sustainable future that that we need to implement around the country. Um, Seattle has some great in, innovative ideas as well. So um, if the CRA doesn't work, um, passing a new law protecting the net neutrality will be our next step. Um, That, you know, resolution of disapproval, if the CRA works, it'll also go to Trump's desk for his signature. So that could be the hardest part of the fight. Um, The fight doesn't end just getting all of the Congress members to do this. So we're in it and until the end. (laughs) But we know that, you know, we kicked out 40 40 representatives that wouldn't stand for net neutrality. They lost their elections. (laughs) Yes. And uh, you're right. We are in this uh, for the long term. We're protecting uh, uh, and trying to ensure a better future, a better tomorrow. Yes. And that's definitely worth doing. Absolutely. And and that kind of bridges us into our next topic, which is the Green New yes, Deal. And I read, I couldn't read every single word, but I skimmed uh, through uh, both uh, documents that you sent me. Uh, and I'm going to read them uh, more, um, you know, when I can focus on them after tonight's show. Uh, but this is impressive information, Uh the uh, final select committee for Green New Deal uh, made a lot of sense. You know, it, it addressed all of the different things that uh, you've been talking about and that I've been learning about. And then the Green uh, uh, New Deal um, document from the Green Party also, uh, it tied everything together in a very uh, 
easy to grasp way uh, that made me very excited for this initiative. Absolutely, and and that has been their platform um, for two president elections. Yes, I I know that you know they have put forward the best platform ideas um, these two previous presidential campaigns, and that was really impressive to me with Jill Stein and that's when I first heard about the Green New Deal and um, the indigenous folks uh, are you know just taking it so much further uh, Winona LaDuke uh, has an excellent take on it and I think there was an interview where she was on with Amy Goodman that people should try and, and see so I I would stress that Cortez really has to reach out to these other you know people that have been successfully implementing mm-hmm. parts of that platform um on their reservation in their communities as well as the people who have built the the platform and the green new deal and broken down and and put a structure forward I think what she's really done is take it that next step to the legislative step. So mm-hmm. what I fear um, and have seen and do believe is that, gosh, when the Democrats get a hold of it, they water it down, they change it. <laughs> so, you know, we we hope and we applaud that she is doing this, but we also have to have our, our you know, our ears open to any yes. changes that go towards a, a, a profit nature and not a sustainable nature. Um, it's not a for-profit idea. Yes, it can employ hundreds of thousands, millions yes. of people, and it, it can reinvigorate and reestablish, um, if not reinvent, our economy which is what we need right now. And it can take us out of the climate disaster that we face. Yes. And if we mobilize. Now, we've seen legislative processes be so slow, so stagnant. And then when we do, and occasionally not transparent as well. And then when we do see the bill moving, um, you know, we may not have watched it or got distracted with our other challenges and struggles, um, and that bill is different. That bill is not with the full intention of of what the Green New Deal should be. It's a very comprehensive document, and it addresses everything. Uh, as you pointed out, the economy, uh, um, workforce uh, development. Um, equality uh, in our society, um, voting for all citizens. Uh, it, it, it's very, very, very comprehensive and very well thought out. Um, yeah. And that that is phenomenally impressive. I started an initiative, uh, Bill, who you know, and I don't know if you've met Dan Lowe yet uh, through our conversations here. He started Not yet. Called the American Workforce Association, so I'm doing things uh, uh, with him uh, as well. I'm now their outreach director, so I'll be uh, put like creating a student intern volunteer program um, in the very near future. But 
I in the uh, Crestville Public Library, we're doing a career center to try to address some of the economic problems like uh, that are inherent in our gig economy. Our economy is becoming not even full-time, part-time. It's becoming gigs. You know, you just go get uh, gigs, and uh, uh, these gigs often pay decently, but there's no uh, uh, insurance or uh, assurance of continuity. So, um, and more often than not, there's not even a workman's compensa- compensation Correct. if that employee gets harmed. Correct. So we're trying to see what uh, uh, we can do about that. Right now it's uh, raising awareness, and uh, um, Dan is looking into the uh, how 1099s are being misclassified and misused. So anyway, that's uh, that's moving forward. But uh, Dan and Bill are also uh, working with me on this uh, career center. And uh, after skimming through the uh, Green Party uh, document, um, this gave me a lot of ideas, you know, that regardless whether this goes through legislation, uh, other people have done parts of this. And I can certainly implement parts of this into, you know, the the things that we're currently trying to construct. Because they're great ideas. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. And, you know, she has um, put together this committee and her ideas moving forward are are very strong and well thought out. Um, it, it's when you get to actually writing legislation and who's in the room, the selective committee, if they're going to be transparent and releasing the drafts that they come up with, if they're going to be inclusive of working groups, uh, people from the Green Party that worked mm-hmm. on the original Green New Deal, uh, indigenous people who have implemented parts of the Green New Deal, you know, in their communities. Uh, so I think at every point in time, even when there's something great, um, you know, we just don't want it to fall by the wayside. And I, I haven't had um, experience with the ACA myself, but it's an example of um, the ACA when that bill came out, it was very different than five days prior to what people thought was actually going to be our medical system back yeah. then. So, so you know, we that should be our our immediate heads up to always be watching. But that is fantastic. Your town is, and you are just staying so busy. It's just wonderful. Well, thank you, but it's, the way I see it is, uh, um, you know, we have kids, uh, we're going to have grandkids uh, um, in the not-too-distant future. We have to make sure the planet is still here and uh, that their quality of life is, is good. You know, we, we can't not do anything. Um, the information coming out, even from the uh, Trump uh uh, people is that uh, we have uh, a little bit more than a decade before nothing can be done. So we have to do everything we can now. It, 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 there's no choice anymore. It's like, you know, if we care about our kids, if we care about the future, we have to act, period. There's no no waiting, no talking about anything. Right now, the call is for action on a massive uh, scale. And uh, I'm very encouraged when I meet people like you and when I see documents like the ones that you sent, you know, people are 
taking action each in their own way. And, and uh, again, that, that heartens me and uh, fuels my motivation to get even more involved. It's wonderful um, to, I I can't remember how many times over the last eight years I've hashtag Green New Deal. (laughs) (laughs) So it's, you know, it's bittersweet when when things start moving uh, bigger than you and you know that, you know, it's just one pinpoint. So I I look in those eight years, um, you know, what have I done just here and locally um, you know, I started an organic garden, uh, mm-hmm. you know, try and um, have folks as well as myself, uh, you know, donate foods, organic foods to the soup kitchens, help other people build gardens. Um, the victory gardens, there's a lot of activist farmers who will come out and put a victory garden in your yard. They'll, they'll do it absolutely free. So I, I'll try wow. and send some information on that. Uh, we, and we this backyard, send me the information. We'll get one. And we have one in uh-huh. town. And in Crestville, where I do stuff in the library, they want to start one too. So uh, I definitely have work for them to, to do if they mm-hmm. like to do it. And uh, yeah. also at the library. The folks I know are from Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. So they uh, just take, I think, gas donations and stuff like that. Uh-huh. Okay, that's um, doable. Mm-hmm. And I think all of our, you know, environmental commissions, you know, our rec centers, our our fields. Now we get to our kids' fields. You know, we have to stop spraying the pesticides. And there's there's so many actions that we need to take. Um, just go completely organic. Uh, try and grow our food local. And we might have to get used to just eating oranges in the winter. You know, months that Florida's producing them, <laughs> and eat seasonal fruit again. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot that could be done, and and uh, people are doing things, and and that's that that is incredibly awesome. And yes, there are there's an endless amount of things that can still be done, uh, but I believe these crises have awoken something in us, and I'm, I'm beginning to see a lot of. Uh, movement and a lot of activity that is uh, positive and life-affirming uh, happening all around me, and that that's great. Absolutely. I, I think um, some outreach and, you know, even though we, we are facing an immigration problem, um, our own citizens will be migrating to different parts of the country due to the climate disasters. Yes. Um, and natural disasters that have just been amplified over the last decade. Um, so we, you know, need to build up more programs, uh, more community type of homes that are that that work with organic gardening that produce for that community and the local region around it um maybe they have shared kitchens they have uh shared fuel sources um and that's another way you know all on a on a solar grid um and putting in new inspection new building codes maybe all new building has to be 
done with geothermal, solar, mm-hmm. and, you know, paint all roofs white. Uh, and, there, you know, there's quite a few actions and many groups that have broken down all of those details. Now, um, and again, if you can give me access to this information, I, w- I will try and apply it to, to the best of my benefit. Um, you've become a regular now on the show because you're so awesome and uh, so informative. Um, we have another uh, individual. She's the president of our local chamber of uh, commerce, uh, Christine Evron. And um, she's working locally on our Nor- uh, Northern Valley Greenway project to reclaim a lot of the uh, railroad tracks. Uh, and, Wonderful. And, yeah, and it, it's proceeding. I remember it was just a, an idea in her head that we were discussing on the podcast, and now it's a, a reality, you know, uh, that's moving forward. Another five years is going to transform this uh, um, entire area. And Christine cares about, uh, um, you know, uh, green initiatives and our future. So one of the things she does is she comes on the show, and during her uh, segment, uh, she gives a suggestion that anybody can do during the course of the month. Like last month's was uh, uh, eat like less beef, three, just cut it out three days a week. And if everybody did that, uh, you know, it, it, would, it would add up to something uh, significant, even though it seems like a small thing. So I know you're probably very full of uh, suggestions that people can follow uh, maybe we can integrate that whenever you come on to the show and uh, uh, maybe we can print them up and distribute them through libraries or something. We we could do something that if people took small actions and then later on, if communities took small actions, um, cumulatively, we can make a, a, a difference. Absolutely. I mean, right now everyone could go out and, um, you know, if a friend could give a cutting of a house plant, uh, mm-hmm. And and grow a house plant over the over the winter, um, you know, tend to it, and you know, use cuttings and learn how to propagate it, and you know, provide a better air in your own home. And then when the spring comes, uh, you know, plant seeds in your windows, and then you know, put it out on your porch and harden everything up, and then you can plant it right in the ground. Um, we. We do have some other challenges. Um, I'm not sure. It's a long discussion, so I'm just going to touch on it. Um, We have different stratospheric geoengineering challenges to also overcome. And these, um, these challenges are harming our soils and our trees. So it's a very, very long topic. We may have to try for another day. <laughs> we can do it another day. And I, I care about trees. Uh, um, one of our councilmen has made it his mission uh, to protect the trees. Uh, so uh, what I learned from you during that uh, podcast, I will definitely bring there and to see if there's anything you know that, that we can incorporate into what we're doing locally that, that will uh, minimize the effects of these damages. Absolutely. Um, I'm definitely hearing your slow speed and feedback. Oh, are you? I'm sorry. I, there's nothing I could do about that here, uh, though. Let's see if I can play well, with it. Well, those are bit. the challenges we face in a world without net neutrality. 
Uh, most certainly so. And uh, let, let me play with volumes and things like that while we're talking. Um, now, Wendy, uh, as an activist, do you go out and do talk to groups? I have um, quite often I would go and speak concerning trade, um, especially the interstate settlement dispute system, which is a topic of constitutionality. Um, I would go out at the Skylands Tea Party group, um, which was very mm-hmm. challenging. I am not a Republican, and we I have some differing beliefs than that group, but it was a wonderful bridge to have a subject um, that we could all work together on and then possibly learn from each other. During the fast track and the TPP, I set up um, sit-in schools. So we would uh, go from the town square and, and sit on Congressman Garrett's sidewalk and and have a a little school sit in and then I went around and gave PowerPoint presentations in five different libraries uh-huh uh, i I like going out and giving public testimony to different commissions Delaware River Basin Commission. I try and make at least two or three times a year um to speak about our river and protecting it from fracking and all the fracking practices, water withdrawals, as well as the waste, the fracking waste. So I've been very active. I think uh, for the run for Congress, I enjoyed doing the short videos, which seemed like a, a teaching effort real quick, just the platform, <laughs> why it matters. Uh-huh. And it was four-pronged platform, so we got to do a few of those. Um, you know, something that would really give a great foundation for a Green New Deal here in New Jersey um, is the Green Amendment. And there is a bill that has come out of committee, and it came out of committee with a bipartisan vote as well. Awesome. And. I will look up the number to that bill and also add that in the link section. I'm doing the links directly on the Elysium Project page. Okay, fantastic. So that is, you know, gone out to our Senate and our Assemblymen. So calling on that bill would be fantastic. A great resource on Facebook, a good group to look into for the Green Amendment is For the Generations. For the Generations. And that's also For the Generations. Let's see. And I'm not getting the bill fast enough. I I think it's S-134. I'm pretty sure. And so we can call our members of Congress, our members of uh, the Assembly and our Senate senators, state senators, and ask them to support that bill, uh, sign on as a co-sponsor, and definitely, you know, vote to pass that bill. And if uh, they don't feel, they don't sound like they can give you an answer, their staff can't give you an answer, make an appointment and sit in and talk about why 
a Green New Deal moving forward uh, to combat climate change is so important, and our environment, it's a human right to have, like, clean water, and a constitutional amendment would be amazing in our state as well as further down the line. Oh, most certainly so. Um, Most certainly so. And um, again, you filled my mind with possibilities. It's going to take me a while to digest them (laughs) and learn more about them, but I'm I'm very excited. There's, there's a lot of uh, uh, things that can be done in this area. And uh, as I said previously, everything else uh, um, kind of like, falls away. If we don't have clean air to breathe, clean water to drink, uh, um, clean food to eat, you know, we we won't be able to survive as a species. No. And many other species who didn't create this mess won't be able to survive as well. I know, our little ones. Are you? I, th- I think we touched upon this before, but you're also involved uh, with uh, animal protection as well, if I re- remember correctly. No, um, not directly. I've not had any um, active engagement. I I have worked with, well, not really worked with, but I, I've been down, you know, to our animal sanctuaries and folks that rescue animals. And I I worked in trade with a a very successful animal activist, um, you know, who also works in trade. So I did learn, you know, a handful of items, and I absolutely, when they said, eat meat on Mondays, you know, like, take a night night off, I just went to trying to eat meat on Mondays and taking six days off. (laughs) So... (laughs) That was my thought on how to, you know, protect the animals. We, I think our textiles and our industries for clothing, um, you know, we've we've gone away from hides and sheepskin, but, you know, we raise alpaca to, you know, make our blankets and things like that. So I don't think our clothing is as assaulting as it was in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. But Mm -hmm. our food, our medicine, as well, you know, as the entire physical treatment of the animals and, and the farming, big farm with cages, it's very unethical. Yes, so so you have done things with the animals, uh, maybe not as much as uh, you're doing with uh, your four um, uh, platforms, but uh, more than most uh, do. Um, I've been trying to get uh, involved uh, because here we're in Bergen County, as you know, and bear and deer and other animals, raccoons and uh, possums and um have been coming into our area increasingly more and more uh, near human habitations Absolutely. and often discouraging them from, uh, from 
causing any damage or interacting with people or you know being hit with by automobiles um there are certain behaviors that humans can adopt like with the bears make sure your garbage is secure um you know plant certain things that deers don't like in your garden and the and the, the, the deer won't come to eat you know the things that they uh, do like uh, and those are all things that are easy to do that would eliminate a lot of the problems that people have, you know, because of uh, uh, this uh, shift in where these animals are, are going. Um, and a lot of people don't know those things. So they're like considering options like hunting. And I've been to a number of meetings and it's, it's very ridiculous because some people are calling for like uh, bow hunting uh, in, in human neighborhoods where there are kids <laughs> and you know, adults and pets, you know, so that's a, like a prescription for disaster. Um, yeah. And yeah. Uh, the more we research it, the, the more of a bad idea uh, it, it seems. So I became active w- with that to try to um, not encourage uh, this uh, option uh, from, you know, to be considered. Uh, so that's something I'm, I'm trying to figure out how I can do it better uh, and uh, I've scheduled a few people who are going to come on the show and we're going to talk about it and see what actions uh, we can take uh, there as well. But There's right. a man There's who's been arrested at the bear hunt like seven times, and I, I, I haven't heard anything in the press with him this year, but I applaud him. I applaud his persistence and dedication. Uh, the bear's... In fables, in the indigenous fables, they are the protectors of the children, and we have no no grasp of that at all. And the possums, they eat our ticks, they eat slugs yes, they ticks. that yes. harm our garden. Uh, uh-huh. I have a little possum house under my porch. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I, I feel so horrible with all of the roadkill, and that is that is so detrimental. We are, are slaughtering quite a few of our, our four-legged friends. And for the hunts, right now, most of it is it has to be 450, I'm pretty sure it's yards. I would hope it would be yards. 450 yards from a home or a building that could have people in it, which doesn't seem far enough to be shooting a gun or shooting a bow. So most of those ordinances should be going higher, not lower. Yes, this was for like, I think, 175 uh um, I don't remember if it was yards or feet, and I'm hoping it was yards as well. But it was very close to, you know, to houses and in, in neighborhoods where there's a lot of activity. Uh, um, you know, seniors, uh, kids, and, and again, non-kids who are walking dogs. And uh, it, it was scary to think about uh, uh, people with bows coming and shooting deer. And uh, if you visit the websites of bow hunters. Uh, they have little regard for uh, um, pets, and uh, sometimes it seems people. So having them in your neighborhood with bows, <laughs> again, it's, it's not something that uh, is, is very appealing. Yeah, I, I think there are probably quite a few conscientious ones who grew up um, with it as a sport or as a family item or 
you know, have actually put the meat in their freezers. Uh, we do have an abundance of deer, and deer are, you know, on the whole, environmentally threatening our earth as well, on the whole. Uh-huh. Uh, so when we have these large numbers, they they do cause harm to our environment when they have reintroduced wolves into that environment and kept the deer population down. The forest, the plains, the, the meadows have have blossomed again. So I, I think that there are good and bad, as we see in every situation. Yes. But there's no guarantee that we'll have all responsible and, you know, people that take it seriously that won't just leave the meat there, you know, kill for the sports of it. Um, but I, I think if you treat it responsibly, carefully, uh, more than legally, like double those feet or double those yards, then those folks will, you know, help to teach the others. But that's what we, we can only hope for. We we can only hope, but as long as there are people like you out there, people will know. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what you do. You spread awareness and you point the way towards action and then you take action, uh, which encourages other people to take action. And, and that is incredibly awesome. And that's why you're uh, on the, the age of uh, heroes. Uh, our journey today is nearing its end. Um, and uh, I would like... Uh, uh, for you to share how people can uh, enter your world uh, and find out what you're doing and get involved in all the awesome things you're doing. Well, fantastic. I can be found on Twitter at gets, G-O-E-T-Z, it, I-T, one, gets it one. I can also awesome. be found on Facebook, a multitude of places, uh, Wendy gets it, NJ5, as well as Wendy, like the bird, W-E-N-D-I-E, gets, G-O-E-T-Z. Thank you so much uh, for being on tonight's show and for everything, and I'm looking forward to our next uh, conversation. I wish you the most wonderful winter solstice, the happiest of holidays, and a joyful season to you and yours. And to you and yours as well, and a happy and healthy new year, too. Yes, of course, with lots of action. <laughs> yeah, with lots of action. Uh, take care, <laughs> Wendy, and um, I, I will share the things that you posted in the group elsewhere, um, and you'll get an email from me in the next couple of days. Thanks again. Thank you again, Hercules. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a very brief uh, break. We're going to listen to The Raven King. Uh, Haven't heard that one before, uh, so let's try something new. Get up. 
And welcome back to the Elysium Project. Now for the Sussex Report with Astrid. Greetings and welcome, Astrid. Hello, Astrid? Yes, I'm here. Hi, I believe Bill is with us as well. Is that you, Bill? No, it's not Bill. Okay, so Astrid, you and I will speak. And uh, Bill should be here shortly. How have you been? Great, great. You know, it's uh, holiday season. It's busy. It's frenetic. And you have to just kind of remember the whole point of the uh, winter season, according to Wiccan or in, or just the old ancient ways, is that uh-huh. you go back into yourself. And, and here at the time period from September to the winter solstice, you see a rapid increase in mobility and holidays, and yet nature tells us it's time to go in within yourself, reflect, see what's happened during the year, and what you have to do to to better your life and your own being, your own self, for the uh, upcoming year. And that's kind of like uh, what people call New Year's resolutions, I guess. Mm. You know, like, and it goes way back to ancient times. And meanwhile, we're all running in frenetic. Yeah. And you just have to kind of take a step back and look at the total picture. And what is it about? Is it, you know, dealing with the parking lots, the malls, um, the um, crazy situations online and trying to purchase things? And, and is that what it's really about? Or is it about giving of yourself? 
you know, to other people, organizations, um, the public sector. Maybe there's a neighbor, someone in the neighborhood, or that needs some attention or needs to be spend time with people. You know, that's what it's really about. Oh, it most certainly is, and I take this uh, time of the year very seriously. I usually spend uh, uh, spend from the middle of November till the end of the year. Um, pretty much determining uh, what I'm going to be doing the following year. And then mm-hmm. I post a lot of it. This way people <laughs> can keep me on course and make sure I keep my word. And uh, I must say that since I started this uh, custom uh, years ago, uh, I managed to actually accomplish a great deal of the things that I proclaimed I would do. Um, so uh, it, it's, it's a very, 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 very productive uh, uh, way to approach life. Most definitely, and it's a great lead-in to our subject tonight. Most certainly so. Yes, because last week we uh, basically did a review of 2018, all the events Mm -hmm. and and frustrations that we, we, the public, had to deal with from the public sector, and also a little bit of pushing back, saying, no, this isn't what America is about with the midterm elections. So now we look forward to 2019, and, and see what possibilities exist for us as an American nation. We have um, a Democratic-run House of Representatives. And uh, as we ended last week, we discussed the um, bill, H.R. 1, which will close loopholes, curb corporate yes. special interests. And it will also, which I'm reading further on the bill, it's called an anti-corruption and clean elections reform. And it's necessary for you to contact your member that represents you in the assembly to let them know how you feel about this bill. Now, we have Josh Godheimer here in Sussex County, and he's definitely behind this bill, but there is nothing wrong with contacting first the House and then the uh, Senate in terms of how you feel, the constituents that they represent, how you feel about all the corruption that we've seen and how we want it closed. So besides the uh, corporate self-interest and the lobbying influence, which we know, they also Mm -hmm. want to control, this bill will um, deal with um, voter suppression, which was extensive in a few elections. Yes, and the yeah, and the extreme gerrymandering, where they start carving up districts so that it it the um, it goes to a particular party. So uh, what I found interesting is that not just your representatives, but um, there are organizations such as People for the American Way. Their website is pfaw.org. They have 120 events scheduled for tomorrow. Tomorrow, December twentieth. Wow. Is supposed to be a day where it's action for this bill, whether you drop by your congressperson's office, uh, do a petition, and there are places online. Like I said, the People for the American Way is just one of them. So there is a way. You do have a voice. And the uh, Internet ha- does provide us with all these different organizations that are present that will fight for us, that, that it's basically a subway station for all of us to go to, and, and express our views and add to, to petitions. And another good one is um, Josh Nelson from Credo Action. He mm-hmm. is looking to stop a bill that is being very quietly moved by the House Republican, Kevin Brady, and it's called 
funny enough, the Brady tax bill. So um, Credo Action is looking for people to sign their petition. This bill that he's looking to push as early as the end of this week would be related to giving tax handouts and more breaks to Wall Street. You know, little, little, how do you want to call it, a holiday bonus? I'm not too sure what you want to call it. Uh, but it's, it's worth looking at it and signing the petition. And mm-hmm. there are, the bill is full of tax handout holiday gifts for the rich and well-connected elites is how they say it. And you can go to their site. I will give you that information okay. so that, that people can sign this uh, petition in relation to the tax, uh, the Brady tax bill of 2018. So, and it's basically uh, action from, um, Credo does action in relation to um, the working crew, people that are working that don't want to see their, their, their dollars go to benefits for the, the uber-wealthy, as they have gone with that tax reform bill, which, incidentally, this week is the first anniversary of Trump's tax cut plan. And the studies are showing that the record profits from like $100 million to like $115 million, but meanwhile wages have dipped or stayed stagnant. Um, corporations have not hired more. They basically did not restore worker rights but the, which was another um, thing that they were supposed to do, rather they rewarded their investors and their board executives. And so uh, that's not a good thing. Divide <laughs> a lot bigger between uh, the haves and the have-nots. And, oh, definitely, uh, it's it's a shrinking of that middle class. It's a shrinkage of the middle class. Uh, GM just announced cutting 15% of its workforce and closing five plants. Sears announced going into bankruptcy. Meanwhile, their CEO will get an uber bonus of millions and billions of dollars. It's, it's, it's mind-blowing. It brings me back to when it all began with good old Enron, which Enron was the, the – I can remember when that company decided to relinquish you know, their holdings and people lost their pensions Meanwhile, yes. the, C- the CEO walked out the front door while all these workers were going out the back door with a mega bonus. People were selling off stocks while they were still good, beforehand. I mean, you know, some insider trading, why not? So these protections, it's very important to have these protections like the anti-corruption clean the nexus bill in place. Oh, yeah, most uh, definitely. that type of thing from going on. Yeah, another great organization that people can be in tune with is called the Economic Policy Institute. And they look to protect the rights and wages of working people and strengthening collective bargaining rights. Because as you know, there's such a big movement with this right-to-work law in our country, which basically sounds good with its title, but in actuality it it removes the right to bargain. An arbitrator comes in, this is what you're getting, oh, well, no right at all. So right. that's a frightening thing, you know, a really frightening thing. So I mean, we're seeing organizations pushing for people and standing up for what voters have asked to be done during the midterm elections. 
Yes, we're seeing a lot of activity, and it's very heartening. And some of the things that uh, oh, yes. people are publicly pushing for are things that really need to get done. Uh, and, uh, I'm, I'm very heartened by the changes that have uh, come about since the midterm elections. Definitely. You know, and another thing, too, that I've been reading, of course, we know about from last week we discussed North Carolina's 9th District and uh, Democrat Dan McCready was conceding and now has withdrawn his concession <laughs> because yes. of all of the fraud involved with elections and ballots being handed to people, whether they were counted, weren't counted, duplicate ballots, no one knows. But it's it definitely fraud. So uh, that we'll see what happens in 2019 with that. And he is looking to, to file a legal suit. So there probably will be a special election due to the fraud there. And um, the other thing I thought that was interesting is Scott Walker, that good old Wisconsin governor who lost to a Democrat, Tony Ebers, he's a governor-elect, made a major power play to, with the GOP-controlled Senate to diminish his powers as yes. governor. And we'll see what happens there in terms of legal action. It's uh, Those type of things are very di- disheartening, and the fact that all of this uh, corruption is more transparent. I don't know if it's because of our Internet age or uh, um, I, I, I don't know why, but it, these things were once uh, hidden behind the scenes type of things, and Most now they're definitely. out there for everybody to see. And uh, it's very disturbing knowing that this, this type of stuff has been going on for a very long time, number one. And then number right. two, that now it's going on right in front of your face. <laughs> and, well, uh, I think you're right, you know, and it's twofold. You know, one, uh-huh. you know, I mean, there, we were told um, Trump was going to drain the swamp. Well, the swamp is more polluted than ever before, and we've seen so many of his – department heads go down the tubes due to scandals, just looking at Scott Pruitt with the um, EPA, and now Ryan Zinke, his replacement is out the door. He's out the door. So, um, again, amidst scandals tied to, you know, big oil. So these are the things that we're dealing with. But the good thing is, as you say, they are transparent. And um, the other thing is, yes, the Internet, but also I think people are more willing to speak out with fear of retribution. I mean, the, the White House is constant, you know, um, leaks, as he calls them, and he wants this oath of allegiance, talking about the things that are going on there. I mean, his own lawyer, Cohn, I mean, spilling the beans like crazy. So um, I yeah, think these are remarkable times. Yes, it's twofold. It's actually twofold now, you know. And uh, again, now there's uh, Eco Watch and all the different uh, groups, as Wendy was saying, that they're sabotaging the Clean Water Act, and they're looking for people to sign um, petitions with that. So, not to go down quietly and not to let these bills pass without right. knowing about what's going on, so you have time to take action which is an important thing. 
and raising the awareness, uh, you know, spreading this information so that people know that it's going on because there's so much going on that it's easy to get distracted and to lose sight oh, yeah. of things that are important, like like air to breathe, water to drink. <laughs> Most definitely, and it, and it should not be, you know, people's basic rights should not be um, diminished or thrown to the curb for the benefit of major corporations and their pollution and, and hiding the different things they're doing and, and uh, allowing all these emissions and, and water contamination. It's an outrage. and it's, it's totally an outrage. So it's good to see these things happening now. Um, in New Jersey, there are two things that are interesting that's going on, and that okay. is there's a letter campaign right now to um, change some of the aspects of Chapter 78. Uh, and basically, Chapter 78 was um, was set during the Christie administration. Uh, the health benefits were removed from the collective bargaining table for educators, and instead they set a four-year schedule. And I don't think people realize this. It was a four-year schedule on a sliding scale of mandatory premium sharing. And the percentage went up. The more years you work, it's a great way to get rid of uh, people on the top and hire people minimum salary, uh, yeah. the minimum salary guide. And this is called S2606 legislation. It is being sponsored by Senator Joe Cryan. And they're looking for letters, a letter campaign. And you can do Action Network. You can go to them. Uh, I will give you the information so you can post it. It's a big yeah, thing because I can remember in a time when, when bargaining was minimal and, and people, I can remember having contracts that didn't move for four years. I know the town of Patterson, it was even more, five, six years. And if you start off at a low rate of 7%, for those working maybe, say, maybe one to ten years or one to five years, whatever. But the maximum, it went up the fourth year. It had gone up to like 37 to 39% for people that worked the longest amount of years. Now, just imagine 39% or 37% of your benefit depending on the, you know, what kind of salary you're making, that's amazing. That's amazing. Uh, they're saying just do a flat percent. We're not saying we don't want to pay. Of course, it's, it's a different time now, and money is tight, yeah. so of course you're going to pay, but it should be the same percentage for all, not go slide from 7% to, to 37 or 39%. It's, it's totally insane. So therefore, you were paying yeah. more each year, while you had no contract, your paycheck stayed the same, which in effect means your paycheck went down every year yes. as inflation went up. So that's an interesting bill. And, and, and just for the right of, again, as we're talking collective bargaining and, and unions, um, it's, it's such an important, crucial thing to be able to have health benefits. And then we see what happens this is a great lead-in to the fact that, you know, um, Affordable Care Act, the ACA Act, was uh, knocked down yes. in Texas. And, so, and basically not just by Texas, but um, quite a few states tied into it that were Republican states that want it out. So I'm sure we're going to see that be dealt with in the beginning of the year. 
you know, a big move to uh, fight that because you can't have all these people that assume they're on health care now find out you do yeah. not have health care. You are not covered. And, of course, the people involved would be the people on the lower pay scale, people in need. Now, this uh, journey that we're taking together, a part of this journey is uh, uh, my education um, because uh, I'm learning how government works and I'm learning Mm. how to do things. And I'm learning because you can't possibly address everything. So what I'm finding is that I'm creating like a, a list of things that I consider phenomenally important and I'm, I want to devote my time toward fixing those things. <laughs> and the rest, yes, I have, I have a voice on them. I have an opinion on them. But uh, I, I only have a limited amount of consciousness and time and resources. So sure. it's like, what do I want to devote that to? And what uh, Wendy's doing, what you're doing, what uh, uh, Mark Zinna are doing, what Mayor Peter Rustin are doing, what Christine Everett are doing, what Bill Waitman is doing, and all the guests that we're getting is I'm, I'm, my eyes are opening to, to new ways of looking at things and doing things, and I want to be more effective with my actions uh, and to devote my time and energy towards things that matter a lot to me and to you know, humanity and our planet. Uh, that I feel really, 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 really need to be addressed as quickly as possible. So uh, all of the information you're sharing is helping me do that. So I want to thank you. Oh, no. And, you know, that's what it's about. It's about networking. Uh-huh. Uh, usually I find the the emails I find so vital or so informative that I'll pass them on to the people that I know will best network them. Because, as you say, you cannot be everywhere and do everything. And I'm finding that the things that are um, of the greatest, uh, um, the demand, the greatest uh, resonance for me or attention for me are uh, universal health care and optimal uh, wellness, uh, workforce, you know, the the ability to share your gifts uh, with your society and be compensated, you know, for them so that you can create a better life for yourself, your family, your friends, your neighborhood, for your community, your country, your world, you know, but, and you need to have that exchange, that flow of uh, um, energy and money, you know, to allow that to happen. And then the, the basics, you know, like uh, the environmental type of things, um, you know, air to breathe, water to drink, food to eat, uh, um, those type of things. Uh, and uh, um, everything is like continuously narrowing me in these areas. So I suspect. Sure. That, and, uh, and then you could even, you know, I always think of the outline and the sub outline and how you get more uh, and more details. I mean, you're talking about the environment and, and having decent food. And then you start thinking about the GMOs. You start thinking about Monsanto. Right, right, right. You want to really narrow it down, Monsanto. And how about the poor bees with the pesticides? Right, um, right. And no bee pollination. You're really in, in deep trouble. Uh, we do have two interesting things that relate to Sussex County. I will go back to Sussex County right now. And that uh, there is this bill, S2505, um, by Senator Rojo from Sussex County and co-sponsored by Democrat Paul Sarlo to uh, help 
utility companies trim the trees to prevent power outages. And that did pass the committee. So now they're looking to go past the red tape and, and move it forward. And that's a good thing when you consider that winter's around the corner and yes. that we don't need to have, especially up here, endless amount of power outages due to poor maintenance. And and I laughed because there was something that came through one of the, the utilities who will remain who will be nameless at this point, going on and on how they're working hard to make sure that, you know, we don't have the the outages that we had before. And, and I'm thinking, yeah, well, why don't you give credit to the um, representatives that made the phone calls, looked for the funding to pass these bills to make sure that we do have power. And uh, as I said before, Josh Kottheimer was, was instrumental in contacting one particular company saying, you need to get to some of these smaller areas where people have been without power for uh, over a week. There is no reason for that. And speaking of Josh Gottheimer, I will mention that on his website, he's asking for people to add their name to his um, petition and his letter to avoid a government shutdown, which will be is imminent the way it looks if if our president does not get his five million dollars to build a wall, which I thought Mexico was supposed to provide, but uh, that's beside the point. So you can uh-huh. go to his site as well and add your name. And he did mention that he wants it to be a bipartisan negotiation to find a solution, not to stop wages from workers and offices that we may need, you know, have them closed. And I think one of the offices was Homeland Security, if you can imagine. So um, those are two things that are, I, are I being that that are moving along in this county. Well, good, and I want to thank you, and our journey today has come to an end. Um, yes. And thank you so much for uh, giving of your time so that we can uh, have those discussions with uh, Wendy on net neutrality and uh, the Green New Deal. I greatly appreciate it. And mm. uh, I'm looking forward to our next uh, conversation. Most definitely. And I will submit all of those different websites to you with the, uh, and, and the email so you can pick and choose what you would like to put on, on your page. I wish you and all that speak at this forum and our, our listeners as well a most joyous solstice, Christmas, Hanukkah, which is past, whatever holiday you celebrate. Whatever holiday celebrate. Yes, and whatever holiday, you know, take the time to reflect, you know, where you are and where you want to be. And, and, uh, and we'll make it that. a great year. Yeah, we'll make it a great year. Thank you, and a healthy and happy new year to you and yours, and, of course, to all who are uh, listening. Definitely, and to Athena as well. Make sure you tell her. <laughs> Thank you. We're going to listen to Brian Henke's Dream Within a Dream, and then we'll be back with Bill Waitman and I on Northern New Jersey.
Greetings and welcome back to the Elysium Project. Today we're on the path of public service and our next segment hosted by Bill Waitman is I on Northern New Jersey and today Bill's guest is Murray Sabrin. Greetings and welcome. Hi, pleasure to be with you. It's a pleasure having you here as well. Greetings, Bill. Yeah, same to you and same to Murray. Uh, okay, I'm good gonna, to be with you, Bill. I'm going to be doing engineering, and I can't wait to hear your conversation. So without further ado, the floor is yours. Well, Mary, we go back a ways. Uh, I remember bringing you to Franklin to uh, debate John Shore of the New Jersey policy, uh, what was it, policy perspective. And I think right. you both wrote some magazines or something that were – you were both on some – uh, you were both writing for the same thing, so it was always fun. We debated issues, and uh, I, can, I hope you can hear me. Can you hear me? I hear you loud and clear. Okay. I wanted to start off with some things, and I, you know, I have your resume, and uh, what always interests me about one thing was that how people's frame of reference, or what I would call it, so you were at the same schools that I were at. Actually, my uncle was uh, I was probably teaching classes to you uh, at Hunter uh, and Lehman. But um, I want to go back to how you came to this country. Uh, you came to America, in, I guess, in uh, you were with your parents and older brother on August 6, 1949. What happened in that, uh, that period and before? Well, uh, so my that, parents uh, were living in Poland, um, Prior to World War II, uh, they had large families, and during the war, my father was in the Army, 
And then um, he became part of the partisan group in Poland. And my mother was uh, working in a factory. Uh, the Nazis, uh, I guess, uh, took her to work in a factory. And uh, they're the only ones that survived World War II. And after World War II, uh, they lived in Poland. I was, And then they decided to go to West Germany in 1946. My mother was pregnant with me, and my older brother was born during the war, and he was given up to a Christian family for safekeeping. So he survived the war by uh, uh, being uh, hid in a Christian family, I think, farmhouse. So in 1946, they decided to uh, go to West Germany, and uh, we lived there till 1949, and I was born at the end of 1946. In fact, uh, two days from now, I'll... Uh, my, would be my birthday. My brother, my older brother, and I born both born on December 21st. He's four years older than I am, and so um, my father's great aunt uh, lived in uh, New York City. She uh, raised his mother in New York City, who then went back to Poland before World War One, got married, uh, raised a family, and uh, perished during World War Two. And his uh, first cousin came to America in 1946, and uh, uh, he had uh, for entry into uh, the United States. He was thoroughly um, vetted in West Germany uh, by uh, young American uh, soldiers or intelligence officers because he had been part of the partisans and uh, therefore had contact with the Russians who uh, liberated him in July of 1944. So uh, we came here in 1949. It was a hot day, and uh, that was our first New Jersey connection because my mother's aunt and uncle from um, Patterson met us at the pier as uh, they recounted the story to me. And uh, we moved to the Lower East Side of Manhattan, where a lot of Jewish immigrants uh, came to this country uh, uh, after World War II and prior to World War II. We lived there for a few years. And then uh, my younger brother was born in 1953. And that year, we moved to the Bronx uh, to a very nice uh, four-room apartment. We had lived in a railroad apartment in, in uh Lower East Side uh, with no uh, bathroom in the apartment. There was a toilet in the hallway that we shared with other tenants and a bathtub in the kitchen uh, that uh, that uh, uh, was also used as sort of a tabletop. So uh, my upbringing was typical of a lot of immigrants to the United States, uh, just uh, basically subsistence living. My father got a job in a pencil factory. And uh, as I got older, I started asking questions. Why don't I have any grandparents? Why don't I have any aunts or uncles? Why don't I have any cousins? And they explained what happened during World War II. And, um, and so then uh, uh, that intrigued me, needless to say, that I was deprived of something that most uh, young people have, is an extended family. And uh, in college, I became a history major. And although I, I focused on American history, I took some courses in European history and started learning more about World War II and what happened. And um, uh, my, so my first, uh, one of my first lessons of, uh, of uh, life, if you will, is that uh, when you have an out-of-control government in terms of the power that it has, uh, a lot of bad things can happen. And what happened, of course, was the Holocaust and the horrors of World War I and the horrors of World War II. And then uh, being a college student during Vietnam, uh, we saw more horrors of uh, President Johnson deciding that uh, we had to make sure that uh, the North and South uh, were separate and the South would uh, be free of uh, the communist North. And that was a great tragedy for the uh, not only the uh, American soldiers, 58,000 of whom died during Vietnam, but uh, at least a million or more Vietnamese who died, and God knows how many Cambodians and Laotians. 
And, of course, right after we came to America, the United States entered uh, the Korean War in 1950. And so, um, we're still in Korea uh, uh, nearly 70 years after the end of the Korean War. So, again, my framework is that um, uh, government does a lot of bad things to, uh, to people, and you have death and destruction throughout world history because governments uh, use force. And if they use force to the extreme, then you get these horrific events, whether it's in the Soviet Union with Stalin killing 20 million people or more, uh, Mao Zedong killing 40 million people, uh, Pol Pot in Cambodia, 2 million people. And the list goes on and on and on over the last 100 plus years of these brutal people uh, who gain incredible power through the use of an institution we call government, that's called government. And so uh, being a history major, of course, I learned about the Constitution Declaration. I became a U.S. citizen in 1959 and uh, started studying the Constitution and what it means uh, to have self-government and a, uh, a republic. And uh, the conclusion I reached uh, fairly uh, young in life is that uh, federal government has uh, not followed the Constitution. Both Republicans and Democrats have not followed the Constitution. That's why we have this huge uh, Leviathan in Washington, D.C., and I wish it weren't so because we'd have a much higher living standard uh, than we do today. We'd have more peace in the world. Uh, we wouldn't have troops in, uh, uh, what, about 100 countries around the world, uh, 900 bases. Uh, we wouldn't have a military-industrial complex. Uh, we wouldn't have um, government trying to run our lives from health care to education to all the things that do um, voluntarily at the local level. And so, uh, Bill, my, my frame of reference is that um, uh, limited government is what the founders um, uh, bequeathed to us. And if we had followed that roadmap, uh, that blueprint, if you will, I think we would have a much better society, a much harmonious society today, a uh, more prosperous society. And uh, we wouldn't have to worry who the president is because uh, the, the president would have very limited power, so would the Congress. And that's uh, that's why I decided to run for office uh, over the past uh, 20 plus years, is to implement uh, the vision of of uh, limited government, which uh, if, uh, which both parties have abandoned, and uh, therefore we have a situation of uh, basically uncontrolled spending, massive debt, money printing that is um, uh, uh, historic in American history. And it's just a matter of time before this thing uh, becomes a major, major problem for the American people. I think we're still starting to see the signs of it with the uh, what's been called the everything bubble, the third bubble in the last uh, 20 years with the stock market uh, in a major, major correction. The question is, how much further does it have to go? And that the jury's still out on that. But uh, I, I think from the research I've done is that uh, this could be the beginning of a major, major decline. That will have a huge impact on just about everybody in the United States, whether you're a stock owner or not. It'll impact the uh, real economy, and therefore um, uh, we need to have some major changes in Washington if we're going to have uh, sustainable prosperity and less polarization and more social harmony. And so uh, I come from the perspective of uh, history, philosophy, economics, and finance, having uh, been a finance professor now for nearly 34 years, that uh, Politicians try to overrule the laws of economics and the principles of finance with the laws, legislation, regulation, that they think they, they can mold the uh, society to their vision uh, and bypass um, uh, fundamental truth about how an economy works. 
And so uh, that's why I offered myself to the public as a as a candidate for governor in 97 on the Libertarian Party in the Republican primary to the U.S. Senate a couple of times, and just this year for the U.S. Senate as a Libertarian candidate. And um, I wish I had the same exposure as the Republicans and Democrats, and maybe the outcome would have been different, or at least I, my message that was resonating for the people I was able to um, to meet throughout the state uh, would have gotten a fair hearing instead of the uh, media blacking us out, which is unfortunate because everyone touts that we live in a democracy, and uh, it seems that the only democracy we have is with the two parties, which basically represents a stale status quo that has gotten us to the you situation know, that we are today. We had uh, an election in the 5th District for Congress. There's, uh, Hercules there was talking about when he ran as an independent, and there was a libertarian candidate. And they were excluded. They only really basically had one debate for the congressional office. They were only invited to one. And, um, you know, a radio station in um, Warren County would not let them on. People protested because they thought it was unfair. Uh, both did, were excellent. I thought Wendy, who was, Hercules has on a number of times, was uh, very excellent in bringing up topics I never really even uh, paid attention to. But that's always been the problem. Uh, I mean, in some states, like Maine may be giving the Libertarian Party a little bit of grief, decline in membership. But when I ran for office, um, the first time I ran in 93, actually, I ran as a Democrat, and I was the only candidate on the Democratic Party in my county. Uh, you know, I, I that there were other, well, that, that the other counties were organized. We had a, a king chair uh, who thought he was a king and uh, eventually went to uh, jail. Um, but I, I find it difficult. I ran once as an independent uh, with a group, not the Green Party, but another group, and um, I ran against uh, Congresswoman Rockama, uh, and I was doing fairly well. But I broke a law. I was I was in government, and I didn't. Re I was naive, uh, and she was pretty nice about it, so I didn't get in any trouble. But that's that's the major problem, you know. In New York, uh, going back to your days in New York, there were always four parties. Do you remember that? The the, the liberal, the conservative, uh, the Republican, and the Democrat. So, right. uh, and sometimes candidates out of the blue, like Rudy Giuliani, or uh, somebody else would get support from either the Liberal Party or the Conservative Party, and that kind of changed. You know, your framework seems to have set into life because you've written a number of books, uh, and you've got, as you said, you have one coming out. Um, can you uh, – the one that's coming out now, what's the title of that? Well, I don't have a, a title yet. Uh, we just have to uh, figure out a good uh, catchy title. Because it's about the Federal Reserve. I was on sabbatical a year and a half ago, and uh, the goal was to uh, discuss how the Federal Reserve makes policy. And so what I did was I examined the public testimony of um, uh, Chairman Greenspan when he was um, uh, chairman from 1987 to uh, 2006 and then from uh, Ben Bernanke and see what they were saying in public as to what was happening in the real economy. And they both really misunderstood what was happening in the, in the 1990s. Uh, Greenspan didn't catch the, bu uh, the bubble, the dot-com bubble, even though in 1996 he did say there was a rational exuberance in, in, uh, in the stock market. But yet he kept on pumping money into the system with the dot-com bubble um, that burst in 2000, 2001. And 
then, of course, he, uh, he lowered interest rates, pumped up the money supply, pumped up credit. And we got the second bubble, the housing bubble, that uh, virtually, all, I think, all the Fed economists and, and the Fed uh, officials uh, didn't recognize, but people outside the Fed uh, were starting to recognize it. Um, Mark Thornton, who wrote a book called The Skyscraper Curse, to show the relationship between the skyscrapers and these bubbles uh, in, in, for the last hundred years. There are other people who, uh, across the political spectrum who uh, uh, picked this up. And there were uh, prominent economists, uh, uh, Larry Kudlow, who's now one of uh, uh, Trump's chief economic advisor, said there ain't going to be a recession in 2006, 2007. We're at the cusp of the, the greatest recession since the Great Depression. So people who, who, who are constantly in the media uh, espousing uh, what's happening in the economy missed the boat completely in 2006 and 2007. And we got the housing bubble, and then for the past 10 years, the Fed has been pumping up the money supply like crazy, giving us a, uh, a mini housing boom, uh, but a tremendous stock market boom and a tremendous bond boom. Um, and so now the question is, how far will this bubble burst, and what will be the fallout from it? And um, it could be pretty nasty, because there's been so much money created, not only in the United States, by our Federal Reserve uh, uh, Bank, but also central banks across the globe. They've created $15 trillion of money, and that money is used to bid up the price of uh, assets and collectibles and artwork and um, and other things that uh, have gone through the roof. So it's Do you very think, clear what's happened. Go ahead. I don't want yeah. to cut you off. Go ahead. No, no, no. Well, it's very clear what's happened, and so um, the policymakers are really in a bind because they have this worldview that they have to, quote, stimulate the economy through cheap money by, by lowering interest rates, and that causes all sorts of distortions in the economy, like we saw in the housing bubble and we saw in the dot-com bubble. And now it's, this has been dubbed the everything bubble because everything is out of whack, and now it, we're going to have a correction. That's what a bust is all about. It's a correction to, quote, normal prices in the economy, but that's a painful process. And so uh, when the pain occurs, what do they do? They pump up the uh, economy again to give us another bubble. So we've been on this roller coaster since the Federal Reserve was created in 1913, and people were warning about this 100 years ago, that this ends very badly, this experiment in central banking. So it's now 100-plus years, and uh, we'll see how people react when the next bubble bursts. Well, there's a couple of things that I've seen as signs that I'm going to ask you in a quick fashion. People worry. Uh, many economists worry about the, uh, you know, the, the workforce percentage, uh, the unemployment rate. Like, there's a, a theory. There's been a study of. Uh, there's been many years where we, we actually ten, where we've had 3.9 percent and a recession followed. Have uh, right. do you see any merit in that? Uh, and, and if there is merit in it, why does it happen? Yeah, well, we, right now we're at about three seven, three nine. Yeah. What happens is when you get a bubble, get a lot of uh, workers going into sectors of the economy that are uh, uh, inflated, that are distorted by the cheap money, and so you get a hyperactivity like real estate. We saw in the housing uh, bubble, uh, there was a shortage of, of, of workers to, to build houses, and so therefore uh, the unemployment rate uh, uh, drops because uh, people are drawn into the workforce that probably wouldn't have been there. Uh, if it wasn't for the cheap money, and we're seeing it right now, there's a shortage of workers. Now, you got to remember, this is the point I make to my students and in the presentations I make. We really have two economies. We have the real economy based upon savings and investment and productivity and, and, and 
inventions and innovations, that's the good thing. That's what uh, creates higher living standards. On top of that, you have the bubble economy, which is sort of the layer of speculation that draws people into sectors of the economy that are unsustainable, and those have to be corrected. So right now, as you point out, historically, every time we get to these very low unemployment rates, uh, that's the end of the cycle, and then we go into the correction called the recession. And uh, it's a matter of time before the unemployment rate starts going up. It'll probably happen next year, and the last cycle, unemployment rate went up to 10%. So in this cycle, who knows where it's going to go? Is it going to go to 10%? Is it going to go to 12%? Is it going to go to 15%? Nobody knows. But the point is um, we know what's causing it, but they keep on doing the same thing over and over again. And what did Einstein say? That's the definition of insanity. If you keep on pumping money in and creating uh, credit that uh, gives you unsustainable economic activity, it's going to end in, in, in a, a major correction. And we've seen this uh, throughout the uh, financial history. Uh, and so, that, which is a course I teach at, at, at Aramcoe College, and where students get a really panoramic view of how this thing has unfolded for the last 300 years in the American economy. But the Fed is such a powerful institution because it can drive down interest rates, as we've seen in Europe, to zero, to negative rates, where you have to pay the bank for them to hold your money, which is a totally um, unacceptable and unconscionable uh, policy because you should earn money on interest, on, on, uh, you should earn interest on your money, and you shouldn't have to pay the bank to hold your money. So again, everything is out of whack because this notion of both Republicans and Democrats that they can manage the economy from Washington D.C. and that is probably one of the greatest fallacies, Bill, in our uh, society that's been uh, that uh, people on uh, across the political spectrum have accepted. Yes. Let me ask you, you know, uh, yesterday there was a thing that came out of the Washington Post about the economy uh, and and Wall Street. And uh, it said we were getting close to 1931. Uh, Did you see that at all? Yeah, uh, this has been the worst December in the stock market since 1931, which was right in the middle of or the beginning of the Great Depression and right in the middle of the major stock market decline. Bill, that went down 89%. The stock market from September, October of 1929 to the bottom, I think, mm-hmm. of 1932, the market was on 89%. That was the mother of all bubbles, the roaring 20s. We are seeing this today. Uh, the stock market is, has risen comparable to what happened in the 1920s, and we know what happened after the 1920s. So that's why I'm very uh, cautious about what's going to happen the next couple of uh, three years. And uh, this is why President Trump has made a very or um, uh, decision to to uh, uh, lord the stock market going up. Uh, he thinks he's responsible for that. He's not responsible for the stock market going up. And when the market goes down, is he going to take uh, blame for the stock market going down? And now he's, uh, trying to, he's trying to get covered by blaming the Federal Reserve, which of course is responsible That's for right. this. But uh, but uh, he should he should call out the Federal Reserve that if you want to stop uh, uh, the market going down, you should prevent it from going up in an unsustainable fashion. Now, he raised the the Fed chair. Was it 3% that he raised uh, the interest rate? Yeah, to 2.75. Again, this is this is not what the Fed was designed to do when it was created. It was, it was not designed to manipulate interest rates. It was designed to maintain the purchasing power of the dollar and to act as a lender of last resort, uh, which it did in, in, during the financial crisis. But um, it's not supposed to uh, depreciate the currency. Uh, the dollar has lost more than 95% of its value since the Fed was created. The 
credibility of the purchasing power of the dollar. And so the Fed has failed miserably, and of course it hasn't uh, prevented uh, booms and busts. It's exacerbated them. So the Fed has been a total failure uh, for uh, the, the mission it was set out to do when it was created in 1913. So we have to go back to what's called sound money, where money is really a, a commodity like gold and silver throughout American history, but gold is the preeminent international money which is accepted all over the world because it's not a, a liability of any bank. Um, and therefore, we need to return to what worked for so many uh, decades, so many centuries. Gold's been around for 5,000 years as a, as a uh, money that people use throughout the world. And so we have to go back to what, what remember the old statement, the dollar is, is as good as gold? Well, we need to return that where the dollar is defined as the unit weight of gold, which is what it started out as, one twentieth of an ounce. Then uh, Roosevelt devalued it to 135, confiscated the people's gold by nationalizing the ownership of gold. Then, of course, in 1974, the gold ownership was made legal again, and the price is now up to uh, $1,200 an ounce. Uh, and it's probably going to go a lot higher as people around the world uh, question the, uh, the sustainability of paper money. And the Russians, the Chinese, from what I've been reading, they've been buying up gold with the dollars that they've been accumulating. So central banks around the world know that the dollars are, are days as a, as a reliable uh, uh, store of value is going down, and therefore they're diversifying their holdings by getting into gold and other uh, assets that will give them a greater uh, store of value than the dollar, which is losing its purchasing power. Obviously not as much as uh, back in the 70s when we had double-digit inflation, but the dollar still losing its purchasing power. Uh, Inflation is still running at 2-3%, which means that if you're not getting a 3% uh, salary increase, you're not even keeping pace with inflation. So um, so that's why the middle class is hurting, the lower income people are hurting, and the 1% is who are the major beneficiaries of the sheet money. Uh, they're the ones that are benefiting from this, and uh, they're currently insulated from uh, the monetary inflation because they're the major owners of assets in the United States. Uh, and so that's why it's Billionaires like Warren Buffett, Stanley Druckenmiller, and others uh, like the Federal Reserve because it increases asset values faster than the cost of living, and uh, they become uh, billionaires and multi-billionaires, and uh, and then you have people like Jeff, Be Jeff, Be Jeff Bezos who created a great company, but uh, he's also benefited from the, the cheap money. As Amazon, the price of Amazon stock has gone through the roof for the last uh, 20 years. You know. Um there's a thing that I've been looking – I'm coming to try to put two things together here, artificial intelligence, actually three, robotics, and China with its belt in a road. Now, China has a lot of credit riding, uh, and, and they're, they're obviously uh, – at some point, they will have the largest – maybe they may have it already, the largest income. Do you see uh, – now, Russia, uh, China is building everything all the way to Europe, uh, uh, building uh, dams and uh, trains. And they have a chance right. of taking the digital economy because there are two major companies, uh, Alibaba and Tencent. Uh, Fortune had a story on them. Um, they're going to benefit greatly from all this. But China has, China has massive debt. How is mm -hmm. their economy going to function? And, and the tariffs, they're killing two nations at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Everything is distorted because the government is heavily involved in the economy. In China, in the United States, uh, they're practicing mercantilism by accumulating dollars, 
by having a, a policy of uh, an export-driven economy. And so, again, if you don't allow the economy to be based upon supply and demand and property rights and, um, and uh, fluctuating prices uh, that reflect people's preferences, and you're trying to, uh, you're trying to uh, goose the economy, if you will, through uh, sp- spending and, um, and cheap money, you're going to create what, what they have in China, which is these ghost cities. They built these huge cities with uh, sky, uh, uh, high-rises that no one lives in. This is a total waste of money. In fact, I just saw an article the other day saying China has used more cement in the last three or four years than the United States has done in the last hundred years. Which and is that's an incredible. Gonna, that's really make, and those, as you said, I, I read that same piece. Uh, that has to take a dramatic impact on their economy. Oh, uh, no yeah, the leader now is yeah. leader for life, but I, I don't know if he would get uh, that. Should be disruption. Um, in nearby Taiwan, uh, there was some kind of uh, the Chinese have a vested interest in who wins the final election on Taiwan. Uh, the old Kuomintang, if I said that right. Uh, yeah. Had inroads against the uh, other p- uh, party that is currently in power. Um, I, 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 the world is very volatile. Volatile. Let me just change that for a second. A lot of people talk about currencies, cryptocurrencies like the Bitcoin. Do you right. see uh, China will not uh, use the Bitcoin? China wants to be one of the uh, currencies in the basket that the dollar's in. Right. But what what's your take on the Bitcoin? Uh, I'm not an expert on that. I haven't done much research, but it, it seems strange that you can just create digital money and people are going to use it because it, it defies the whole history of how money uh, comes into being. It comes into being because some valuable commodity that's scarce and homogeneous and all the things that the textbooks, economic textbooks talk about are the qualities of money. Bitcoin only has a, a, a few of them that it can be divisible. It's homogeneous. Um, but it has to be acceptable. That's what makes something a medium of exchange, that it's acceptable by people in the marketplace, that they'll, they'll um, accept it in, in trade for goods and services. Right now, that's happening on a very small scale. I don't see that happening in, in the future um, unless there's some dr- drastic uh, overhaul of, of the financial and monetary system. But I don't see Bitcoin replacing the U.S. dollar. And besides, it has such a, a terrible track record so far of volatile fluctuations in price, and that's not what money is supposed to be. Money is supposed to be, quote, relatively stable in price. Um, and Bitcoin a year ago was 20000 Now it's about 4000 mm-hmm. That's not how money is going to be um, um, used in, in, in a sound economy. It has to be, it has to be relatively stable in price so, um, or value uh, so people can have confidence that if they receive uh, – uh, a Bitcoin today, it'll be, have the same value tomorrow, the next day, the next week, or maybe in the next year. And so far, Bitcoin hasn't shown that. It's bad enough we have dollars that depreciate 2 3% a year. You imagine if you bought Bitcoin a year ago, 20000 you've lost, uh, what, 80% of your value in a year. That's not a store of value. And um, uh, why people would use it is, is beyond me. I, I, I know there are uh, libertarians who are very um, uh, uh, positive about Bitcoin, but I think they're missing the lessons of the Austrian School of uh, Economics, which has a whole discussion of money um, uh, that uh, uh, challenges the notion that Bitcoin will become an accepted uh, medium of exchange. 
You know, I want to move on to one thing. Actually, to you are a libertarian, and, and you've uh, run on issues. I mean, the libertarian, I guess you could say it's uh, theory is um, minimum government, maximum freedom. Is that uh, – Absolutely. You, uh, Bill, you could be the PR guy for the Libertarian Party. I mean, that's, that's the basic <laughs> principle. In fact, people don't realize that our founding documents are libertarian. The Declaration of Independence is a libertarian document, the rights of human beings. Um, of course, there was a flaw in it because it, uh, we had slavery uh, and throughout uh, the colonial period. But uh, putting that aside, which is a, a big put aside because slavery is the antithesis of libertarianism, which is about individual freedom and individual liberty and, um, and the sanctity of, of, of life, if you will, and property rights. So, uh, mm-hmm. But uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, life, liberty, and property – is the, the the founding principles of our country, and then the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, talks about what is the proper relationship between the government and the individual, and talks about the First Amendment, the Second Amendment, the Fourth Amendment, the Fifth Amendment, all the amendments that say we have rights prior to the creation of government, and government is instituted to protect our rights. In other words, the government doesn't give us our rights, Bill. It protects our natural rights that are uh, articulated in the Declaration of Independence. And so uh, when, you, when I have the chance to speak to people about it, um, I have to remind them that we, are, we were founded on a libertarian uh, platform, if you will, libertarian principles about the proper relationship between the uh, government and the individual, and that is to just minimize the use of force or, or, or ideally not to have the government use any force against individuals. Uh, that's why taxation is, is a violation of individual liberty and individual freedom. And I wrote a book on that in the mid-90s and how we could have a tax-free society and still have all the things that people want in terms of services and security and all the things that make life worth living. And so uh, my next book is about um, uh, uh, social entrepreneurship and philanthropy, how we can replace the welfare state with voluntary institutions which was the foundation of, the, of American um, interaction at the local level where people would get together and form organizations on a voluntary basis without the need uh, uh, of government to provide services that we now think only government can provide, like unemployment insurance, like uh, medical care. These were all done by uh, voluntary institutions called mutual aid societies. Now we call them the nonprofit sector. So again, you have to know history in order to have a good handle on public policy and what public policy should be to give us all the things that I think most – that virtually everyone agrees with, peace, liberty, and prosperity, which was the theme of my campaign. Very good. Very good idea. You also in, uh, people think uh, when libertarians talk about uh, um, maximum freedom, you support – your party supports – Freedom. Uh, what am I saying? Um, uh, choice. Uh, a, a, a woman's. Uh, what am I? What am I? How do I put this? I reproductive rights. <laughs> Productive well, freedom. Uh, reproductive rights. Well, that's interesting, right. Bill. Well, that, that's interesting. Uh, libertarians are split on the issue. I don't know if it's fifty-fifty, but there are libertarians who are pro-choice on comes when it comes to abortion. And there are pro-libertarians. Uh, there are libertarians that are pro-life, like Ron Paul and uh, uh, Lou Rockwell, and other libertarians. And I've accepted the pro-life position. 
because I could uh, the case against uh, abortion from a libertarian perspective that it violates a fundamental principle of libertarianism, which is not aggression, and that since the unborn child is growing in the woman because there was a decision made to uh, create a baby, or maybe uh, there wasn't a decision made, you still have a human life being uh, being developed. And Ron Paul wrote a great book of the pro-life uh, uh, libertarian uh, uh, position on uh, life, uh, which argues that uh, libertarianism and pro-life are compatible. It's called Challenge to Liberty, and I urge all libertarians to read it. I'd urge all Americans to read it, and he lays out the case because he was an obstetrician, and he saw what was happening in hospitals in the 1960s before abortion was legal. And uh, he came to the conclusion that this is a human life that should be protected by the law. And um, I initially was on the pro-choice side of this uh, issue. And then even when Roe versus Wade was decided in 1973, I opposed Roe versus Wade, even though it was pro-choice, but I thought it was a terrible decision that um, uh, the abortion issue should be settled at the state level, where it always was prior to Roe versus Wade. So I think the Supreme Court made an egregious uh, decision uh, saying that there's a constitutional right to abortion when it should have been left to the states. And I feel very comfortable with that. We, we don't need a national mm-hmm. policy on it. We should leave it to the states, as we do with the uh, uh, other issues that uh, the federal government has no responsibility. As a actually, how do you feel about? I mean, you you brought up the uh, you know issues in Syria. Um, yeah. What is the feelings about, uh, say, a national army uh, uh, in the world? How do we uh, organizations like NATO? Uh, yeah. Uh, should we follow the lead of the president and get out of such alliances? In your opinion, yeah, I mean, NATO, NATO was established after World War II uh, uh, because the theory was that the Soviet Union was ready to advance uh, west after being decimated during World War II and taking over Eastern Europe as a buffer against any possibility of an invasion in the, past, in the future. And so um, uh, there were Republicans like uh, Senator uh, Robert Taft of Ohio who was opposed to NATO uh, even at the height of the Cold War. And so um, there was an old right in the, the Republican Party that, were, that was libertarian. They were pro-gold. They were anti-big uh, um, uh, government. They were anti-military um, alliances. And that's the libertarian position is that we should have uh, what George Washington said in his farewell address. We should have commerce with all and entangling alliances with none. And that's a libertarian uh, proposal for a more peaceful world. Uh, we've seen all these undeclared wars since World War II, uh, Bill. And they've been destabilizing. They've cost us a fortune in, in, in money. They've cost us uh, a tremendous destruction in human life on both sides of, of the conflicts. And so uh, we need to get away from this notion that it's our responsibility, uh, as Woodrow Wilson said, to make the world safe for democracy. It's been a total uh, fiasco. And in fact, on uh, that, I think on that been- note, we have to start winding up today's journey. Um, I'd like to give you a couple of minutes to share your contact information and uh, some more information about uh, your most recent book. Okay, um, my uh, my blog is murraysebrin.com. I'll be uh, revving that up again in the, in the new year because uh, I took a hiatus while I was running for the U.S. Senate in 2018. So murraysabrin.com, our Facebook page is The Road to Liberty, Murray Sabrin's The Road to Liberty, which is uh, 
well, I'll be posting uh, uh, articles and other information, and also I'm available to for, uh, for, to give talks to people. Uh, you can contact me through Messenger on on Facebook. I have a whole slew of topics from uh, the economy to the Federal Reserve to taxation to politics to uh, foreign policy. So if anyone wants to um, have me call, uh, come and address their organization, uh, they can uh, message me on uh, Facebook and we can work out the details. There's a lot to and talk about because uh, there is. And uh, you and Bill, I'm sure, are going to want to continue your conversation. So that's something we could schedule. And uh, I would like to talk to you about mutual aid societies because uh, uh, that's something I've been looking into uh, lately as you know, maybe like another type of model uh, for uh, people working together to help each other out. So I, yeah, this is, like yeah, this is not a partisan well. issue. This is just a, a common sense issue of how we deliver services to people uh, without uh, without uh, the huge bureaucracy in Washington D.C. or the bureaucracies in, in, at the state level, because the nonprofits, uh, the, the really excellent ones, the, uh, get really great bang for the buck in terms of uh, providing services. Thank you so very much, Bill. How can folks get in contact with you? Well, I'd like to Murray, I write on a lot of newspapers. I was especially at home and. Uh, uh, around the state and out of state, so they can look look for my name. Uh, I just wrote a piece the other day, uh, and uh, I'm I'm on Facebook, uh, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm I'm doing some things with uh, Harvard Business Review. Uh, Murray probably knows this. Uh, you probably know this. Uh, Harvard Business Review is looking for people to basically be like uh, mentors, uh, and uh, I've picked up a. I'm uh, mentoring somebody that's in Africa, but she's from Edison, New Jersey. She's doing her master's degree. Uh, so you can, um, I, I don't know. She's also working with gold, Murray, so I don't know. I hope she's not doing something uh, illegal over there uh, in Ghana. Well, I think, but, I think this is going to be can, one, of the most one of the most interesting um, uh, developments in the next uh, few years and decades is uh, uh, the, the next evolution of our international monetary system. It's, uh, it will be. But anyway, they're going to cut us off in a second. Um, thank you so much, and I'm looking forward to uh, your next show. And, uh, Murray, it's been very uh, interesting hearing your views, and I look forward to exploring them some more. Thank you so much. Appreciate the opportunity. Happy New Year and happy holidays, everyone. Happy, Take care. Happy New Year to everyone, and a healthy and a happy Good night. Good night. for listening to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network. Join us seven nights a week for exciting programming covering a variety of expressions of faith. And remember, all manifestations of the divine are equally valid.